May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning. Wow, that thing's a little loud. Sorry. Let me just move that over there just a little bit. Good to see you all. Uh, this morning, I see some familiar faces out there. Uh, some of you I don't recognize, which which is good, which means that you are either new to this church uh, since I was here last, or you have returned for this big celebration today. My name is Mike Besson. I am your archdeacon for the Diocese of West Texas, and if you have no idea what an archdeacon does, don't feel bad. I didn't either before coming here, so... Uh, if, if, if you'd like to know, just ask me after church and we'll have a conversation about it. But I'm just honored to be here. Love the music today. Uh, there, for, there for a second, I closed my eyes uh, while, they were, while they were singing. Uh, and it sounds like 100 people or something. I mean, so you, you've got big voices. And so thank you all. Thank you all so much uh, for being here. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about this, this moment years ago now, I guess, when I just threw up my hands and I looked to the heavens and I'm like, well, isn't this just perfect? I was serving as the rector of St. Catharines of Siena in Missouri City, Texas, just south of Houston. And as was my custom on Sunday mornings, I would get to the church about 6.30, 6.45, get ready for the 8 o'clock service. I was the one with the key. I would unlock the doors and turn on the lights, get the coffee going, make sure that the air, the heat, you know, was working, everything was fine, bulletins were printed. And on this particular morning I'm thinking of, I was checking the heat because we'd had one of those sort of early spring hard freezes that you get in southeast Texas sometimes. Very rare, but you get them. So I wanted to make sure the heat was on. So I drove up to the church. It was about 6.45 in the morning. And as I'm driving in, I notice that for some reason, don't know why, the sprinkler system decided to come on overnight, which meant that it had watered down all of the sidewalks and pathways leading up to the church parking lot all had a thin layer of ice and I'm thinking to myself this could have happened any other night of the year but it has to happen on Sunday Saturday night and Sunday when people are actually coming to the church and I've got these images in my head you know of people slipping on the ice falling down a broken arm people's cars sliding in the parking lot because we had like this 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 incline this this levee that you came, that you had to drive over to get to our church. I'm imagining the cars, you know, sliding down the ice because let's just be honest, in Southeast Texas, we don't know how to survive when there's ice. You probably don't either uh, here in Portland. But I'm just standing there looking at this ice over concrete and I'm thinking to myself, well, isn't this just perfect? It was fine, it was fine. Grabbed a couple of extra people. We helped people, you know, navigate around the sidewalks, walk through the grass. No, no vehicles running into each other. Everything was fine. But I just couldn't help but notice during that morning that these beautiful plants and shrubs that lined the whole front of our church building, I mean, they were... They were in the shade in the morning, and you know, by the 1030 service, the ice had melted, everything was fine. But those plants, I mean, they were caked with ice, and they were drooping over. 
and I'm just standing there looking at all of these plants and shrubs and thinking there is no way these things are going to survive this freeze, and they didn't. So it was like every day when I'm coming to church, I'm going to office, the, the plants are getting a little more brown, they're looking a little more dead. This is like three weeks before Easter. And I'm thinking, this is not how we want to welcome people to the church, right? This is the biggest Sunday of the year. There's people coming from all over the community to worship the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I do not want to welcome them with dead plants. And so I'm talking to my junior warden who was in charge of all these things. A good friend of mine, his name is Roger. And I'm like, Roger, we've got to do something. He's like, Mike, don't worry about it. i got to take care of it. By Easter Sunday, everything's going to be just fine. So, about a week and a half or so before Easter... I get to the church on a Monday morning. I guess he did this on Sunday afternoon, but I had noticed that he had brought in what looked like truckloads of mulch and manure. And as soon as I got within about 25 yards of the church, I could smell this manure. And again, I'm like, well, isn't this just perfect? So this is how we welcomed about 400 people to St. Catherine's on Easter who were there to celebrate the resurrection, we welcomed them with, it was really nice looking, this nice brown, you know, like a hill, uh, but we also welcomed them with the smell of manure. Thank you and welcome to St. Catharines. And so I'm standing at the door, as was my custom, I'm welcoming people as they're coming in, and I look over around the corner to my right, and there's our head usher, not ushering on the busiest Sunday of the year, Truett Vestal. And Truett was, he was standing in front of that, that mound of manure. And he's, he's been over like this, and he's looking like, like he sees something. I'm like, oh, great. What now? Termites, ants, poisonous snakes? I mean, we know, what do we got? So I walked over to where Truett was, and as soon as he saw me, he was like, Mike, come here. You got to see this. Okay. I got my vestments on, my white stole. I walk over there. And he, he's pointing, he says, look. So I, I bent over, we must have looked like, you know, we must have been a sight, two of us, you know, like this. Bent over that manure, and I'm like, I don't see anything. And so he got a little closer, he said, you can't see that? Then, then I saw it. There were these little tiny buds, like little flowers or something, I don't know, that were just beginning to poke their heads through all that manure. And Truett turned to me, and then by then I'm looking, there's like hundreds of these things. And Truett looked at me, and he was like, well, Father Mike, isn't this something? On Easter Sunday, this new life popping up through this manure. It's new life, Mike, he said. It's new life coming up through the darkness and the smell and the manure. I looked at him, and I said, hope. Hope. A beautiful sign of life through all that death and manure. Life. Hope. So in our New Testament reading this morning, Peter is writing to people, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, it's been a while now, I believe they are in Asia Minor, and they are enduring persecution and suffering. They are living in a world of anxiety and uncertainty. They never know what's going to be around the corner. They've got this cloud of darkness and death. And this is what Peter writes. I love these words. He says to the persecuted Christians, always be ready 
to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting of the hope that is in you. Be ready. When you are asked, when people, I love the word, demand it from you, give an accounting of the hope that is in you. I love those words that Peter writes to persecuted Christians who were living in fear and anxiety and worry. And Peter acknowledges that, yes, outside circumstances, your world and your life circumstances, yes, you are experiencing right now fear and uncertainty, death, darkness. You may not know what's going to happen tomorrow, a lot of uncertainty. But Peter says, do not forget that you are disciples of Jesus Christ. You worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You have placed your lives in the hands of the one who overcame suffering and death. Therefore, Peter says to the persecuted Christians, you have hope. Yes, there's darkness. There's death. There's fear. There's uncertainty. It may seem like the whole world is crashing down around you. But you remind people when you're asked. Remind yourselves. Despite outward circumstances, you always have hope. So I'm honored to be here today. As you all are celebrating the feast day of St. Christopher, and you're also celebrating 65 years, that is no small thing as a church. Now, I have visited this, like I said uh, in the beginning, I have visited this church many times. I have been here on weeknights in, in the last four, four and a half years, meeting with your vestry, and we've had conversations about all sorts of things. I remember one night I was here, I think it was a, a Wednesday night, and uh, I, I sat and had pizza and soft drinks with a young adult group that was meeting in the parish hall, and I have served here on Sunday mornings, I have preached in this pulpit, and I'm thinking about all those visits and all those conversations and the conversations that I've had with Father John as I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to say on this special occasion to this extraordinary church on the coastal bend of the Episcopal Diocese of West Texas. And I'm like, what am I going to say? What do I say to a church that literally has risen from the ashes to remain a part of this community and to make sure that the Episcopal Church has a presence in this community, what do I say? Out of all the ministry that's happened here and all the work and, and, and the building and the rebuilding and the clergy who have passed through these doors and the bishops and the baptisms and the confirmations and the funerals and the weddings, what do I say? So I've decided to remind you, wait, let me change that. I've decided to remind us of something that you probably already know. I've decided to remind us, you, me, all of us, of our calling as individuals and as a church. Whether we know it or not, this is the calling that God has placed on every one of us, no matter what our gifts are, no matter where we're from, this is our calling. And that is to make sure that we are providing evidence 
of the thing that I believe every human being on the face of the planet is seeking. And I mean every one of them. Now, I might be wrong about this, but I'm talking about it doesn't matter where you're from, what language you speak. It doesn't matter what part of the world you live in. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you like mayo or mustard. That's a big debate with me. doesn't matter. I believe that every one of us, every human being on the face of the planet, is seeking hope. I truly believe that. And I believe that we're seeking hope every second, every minute, every hour of every day, whether we are conscious of it or not. We are most especially looking for hope when we are in darkness, when we are in fear, when we are living in, with anxiety and worry. And let's be honest, folks, there's plenty to be anxious and worried and fearful about these days. Plenty. When we find hope, as we have passed through the valley of the shadow of death, through darkness, through fear and uncertainty, is there a greater gift than that, my brothers and sisters in Christ? Is there a greater gift that we can receive than to realize that we indeed have hope and had hope from the very beginning of whatever it is that might be making us fearful or worried or anxious? What a gift when we have hope, when we find hope. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here when I say, that people are finding hope at St. Christopher's by the sea in Portland, Texas, in the coastal bend of the Episcopal Diocese of West Texas. People find hope here. Like, for instance, when your brothers and sisters just down the road at a church in Beeville uh, had their church flooded and you all provided funds for them. Now, that may or may not seem like too big of a deal to you, but I can assure you that for the recipients of those funds, it's huge. And the amount of money doesn't matter. It's the fact that they understood that there was someone who cared, someone who knew, someone who was praying for them, someone who said, you know what, what a thing. You all know this, that when you lose all or part of your facilities, man, I'm telling you, it sends you into a panic. And here comes something from you. That says you have hope. We're with you. You know, people find hope here uh, on July the 4th. Now, I've not been to this thing yet, but I've seen all the pictures on Facebook. And Father John has certainly told me about, what is it, this year, 150, something like that? 150 people from all over the community who descend upon this place so that you can provide them with fellowship and community and food and hospitality and relationships. I can assure you, St. Christopher's, that amongst those 150 or more people who come to this place to find that community, there is at least one person. I will go ahead and say there's probably one family who is seeking community, who is seeking relationships, who is seeking a place where they can come and they can have fellowship and they can have food. No one's going to ask anything of them. No one's going to sign anything. It's probably not going to cost them anything. And if it does, very little. But they come here and they find community and relationships. Something else that most of us are searching for these days, especially because you and I remember what it was like when our communities were taken away from us and we were all in isolation. You remember that? None of us are going to forget that. 
And they come here. And you treat them like family. That's hope, y'all. That's hope. Through the ministry of St. Christopher's, hope is provided in abundance when your priest, Father John, shows up where people are incarcerated and provides them with bread and the wine and prayer. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, when I was a parish priest serving as rector of a church in Laporte, Texas, we had a Kairos ministry, which meant that we went out to prisons uh, often Often they were the worst kinds of places, maximum security prison. And I'll never forget the first time I walked into Darrington Prison to go to the, the closing of Kairos and just walking into this place and just thinking, my gosh, have I ever been to a place that's this dark and hopeless? And to think that something of St. Christopher's shows up in those places and provides hope in that kind of darkness, well, you better believe that's no small thing either, my brothers and sisters. You're giving an account of the hope that exists in our world, in the people you minister to, and in you, in us. Now you all know this probably. Because Father John's really, Father John's much smarter than me, okay? So I know that at some point he's probably said to you uh, that the name of your, 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 your patron saint, Christopher, can mean Christ-bearer, one who carries Christ. Now again, I'm not here every Sunday, but he and I are friends, and we talk a lot. And it's my understanding that St. Christopher's continues to do what it's always done, despite circumstances. That's to bear Christ to the community, to remind the community around you, to remind Portland, the coastal bend, hey, I like to think big, the world, that no matter what, no matter what you see on the news, no matter what you hear on the radio, no matter what you read in the paper, despite all of the fear and all of the anxiety, there is always hope. Hope is with us. Hope is in us. My brothers and sisters in Christ, there is no greater news than that. Thanks be to God. Amen.